0: You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is drive time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw to a looking. Flips it
1: downfield wide open. <laughs> Touchdown Tyreek Hill. Unbelievable. Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away.
0: Wow, the hit of that little man to you soon
2: jump on
1: his bandwagon. Waddle. Waddle. To a shotgun. Back to throw. Looking steps up. Fires. Touchdown. up it. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the game. day.
2: Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going everybody? I am your host Travis Wingfield and on today's show we are going to answer your questions via the Twitter mailbag. We're going to hear some additional media availability from this week's OTAs on Wednesday and I'll give you the first look into my NFL positional off-season grading project I kicked off a couple of weeks ago and where the Dolphins stack up in that. All of that and more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time
0: Podcast.
2: I think we start here today with your questions on the mailbag because, well, I put it out there a while ago, intended to use it on an earlier episode, did not get to it, but now you guys come up clutch and help provide some some production here, some some producing here for content on the podcast. Let's go ahead and jump right in here. And A great question off the top that I think a lot of folks are wondering what might happen here, and it comes from Joe Samoski. It's Z-I-M-O-S-K-I, who emerges as the number three wide receiver. I like Cedric Wilson, but chosen is proven in the NFL. Good group we got here though. Yeah, I think it's perhaps the most intriguing camp storyline just because there are so many options and variables for that role. And remember, this is a team that is deep at running back that utilizes a fullback as much as anybody else in the NFL and has a lot of varying skill sets in that tight end room that allows you to run sets that only feature two wide receivers, you know, 21 or 12 personnel at one of the lowest, or I should say highest rates in the national football league. So last year, Miami ran 11 personnel. That's the typical, very standard Personnel grouping in today's NFL, that's three wide receivers with one tight end and one running back. The Dolphins ran that grouping on just 45% of their plays last year. That was the fourth lowest rate in the National Football League. And that, of course, is due in large part to Alec Ingold and his role and his effectiveness within that role. 35.1% in 21 personnel last year was tops in the NFL. Just a few percentage points more than San Francisco and then 10% higher than the third highest frequency used 21 team in Baltimore last season. You know, Kyle Juszczyk, a big part of that for the Niners. Patrick Ricard, a big part of that for the Ravens. We have Alec Ingold here as our guy. And personally, I love those sets because it's a great set to run the football from if they go light in the box. If they do not go light, in the box and they load up all of a sudden you have one-on-one chances to go vertical with Tyreek and Jalen and that is a recipe for success every single time and the reason I mention all this is that you can utilize two of the very best wide receivers in the game to the max in my opinion the first and I think fifth best receiver in football that's how I rank them I know Travis you're a homer whatever go talk to a wall 3,000 yards last year if I play You know, If a play calls for two wide receivers, who do you want on the field more than those two guys in the National Football League? They both can score from anywhere. They both can get maximum separation and make the job of your quarterback easier. But you also have plays where they go get a drink of water on the sideline and talk to Wes Welker while they bring in a couple of guys to knock some dudes off the football and run the ball and have some effective red zone offense. Think about the River Craycraft touchdown at home against the Bills last year. Both Waddle and Hill were off the field on that play. All of that is to come back and say, when they do go three or four wide receivers, you know, four receivers was like 1.9% last year, which was tied for third most in the NFL, but no one runs that set more than, you know, three or 4% of the time. But on balance, a year ago, you saw more than two wide receivers on the field for less than 50% of your snaps. Pretty uncommon in today's NFL. Cedric Wilson, I think, offers a ton in that role. He's got a vertical skill set, run after the catch ability. He's a good blocker. I think that a second year in the offense could do him wonders in terms of just getting the positions down and playing more roles in this offense. I think Eric Ezukama has all the talent in the world. And speaking of getting the offense down, I mean, basically a redshirt year for him last year. If he gets that put together, we all saw it in camp and preseason, him showcase the ability to go get the football at its highest point and I know college is not the same as the pros, but I keep going back to that Texas Tech tape where he was one of the best run after catch guys in college football. And the physicality he shows, the strength in the legs, he wears the short shorts out of practice. You see it every single day. He's one of the more built guys, you know, below the waist in terms of his power. I think it translates to this level personally. Then Chosen Anderson has been one of the best vertical threats from inside alignments from that slot position. Really, since he came into the NFL, I don't think he's a plus outside receiver, but he can certainly give you that role. You know, you put him in the slot and all of a sudden you get attention to that area of the field. It just creates so much more space in other areas of the field, both for the run game and the passing game to both Tyreek and Jalen. Everything this offense should do should funnel around creating chances for 10 and 17. And that's why I think this third receiver role can either do that or if you take away your attention from this spot these guys can win these one-on-one matchups like for Braxton Berrios for instance who I think in short spaces if you do go 11 personnel on a third and three play 10-17 command a ton of attention all of a sudden you've got agent zero Braxton Berrios one-on-one in a short area against a guy who's probably cornerback three or four for the team and if you want to bring cornerback one to that position guess what that means that means you have cornerback three or four on Tyreek or Jalen. Good luck. We saw that happen for the Lions last year. You don't want to do that. I mentioned Craig Kraft touchdown against Buffalo. If you have a four wide receiver set and he gets cornerback four, you better be deep there because he is a crafty route runner who, if you don't have a good corner against him, he's going to beat him. That's just how he is with his skill set and his route running. So just a deep group that I feel confident with seven different guys, seven or eight guys here who all offer unique skill sets from one another. At Andrew McGuire, I didn't answer the question there. I think to me, I think it's Cedric or Ezucama. That's my two picks. At Andrew McGuire underscore, who is your top three most clutch South Florida sports players of all time? And who is your favorite succession character and why? Let's go ahead and start with the second part first. I actually have not began season four yet. Uh, Went through Barry and watched that over again a couple of times. Um, I think you should leave just came out as well. So I watched that really quickly. And, of course, all the Heat and Panthers games have taken up some time. And Julio Rodriguez is scorching hot right now, and the Mariners are playing good baseball. So sports are kind of reigning supreme outside of my Barry obsession. I'll probably begin that this weekend. But to me, it's not a great show for weekly appointment viewing. It's best binged. I, I don't think that's the case for all shows, but that's what I do. I actually kind of like the week-long discussion between shows when you have that break. As for my favorite character, isn't the point of the show that you're not supposed to like any of them? I don't know. Something about a bunch of silver spoon trust fund kids growing up and still throwing tantrums at the rate of my three-year-old is about as unlikable as it gets. Now, that said... I am the viewer who typically likes the villain. I thought Gustavo Fring and Lalo Salamanca were the best characters in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, respectively. I liked Ryan in The Office the most. I just thought he was the funniest character on the show. So a little bit of contradiction there, but my answer is none of them. Though if I had to pick one, it would be Greg, just because he's funny and the least silver spoony of them all. Three most clutch South Florida athletes... That is tough. And I'm going to kind of take the question in a different direction here and just kind of give you the the three that I think had the most clutch performances, I think. So Dan Marino's number one because, duh, he had the eighth most fourth quarter comebacks of all time, still does. And there's only one guy that was from his era or earlier who tops him. Like you're talking about, you know, it's like Brady and, and Manning and Roethlisberger. And I think Matt Ryan's up there as well. But Johnny Unitas is the only guy who, who started his career before Marino who's ahead of him on that list, 34 to 33. So just one more damn comeback for Dan. And he ties the great Johnny Unitas. So Marino's number one for me. Is Jimmy Butler next or is it Dwayne Wade? It has to be one of those two guys, right? It's probably Dwayne Wade. He obviously is Heat basketball. But two finals in four years with a roster that didn't have LeBron and Bosh on it, didn't have Shaq on it. I mean, it's impressive what Jimmy Butler has done. Three in the Eastern Conference finals in the last four years. I'm not going to answer that one entirely. It's one of those two. I lean D. Wade, but I think you have to make a strong case for Jimmy Butler. And then it's Josh Beckett. His 2003 World Series clinching start was one of the best baseball performances of all time. I mean, complete game shutout, scattering just five hits and two walks compared to nine Ks. In the World Series, he goes 16 innings, eight hits, five walks, 19 strikeouts. So more Ks than guys on base. A 1.10 ERA, and his OPS allowed was 456. Average OPS that year in baseball was 725. He was like. 60% of that. That's, in, that's incredible. OPS is the number that translates most to wins and losses. So that's what I go by. That entire postseason that year, the Marlins second world championship and last one, probably the last one we'll get for a long, long time. He had a 2-1-1 ERA on five starts, six games, 47Ks to just 12 walks. Opponents hit 145 with an OPS of 498 in the entire postseason. That is absurd. Absolutely absurd. And just to let you know, I'm not going back to the 70s or even the 80s because I wasn't alive, and I can't pretend to know how those performances were from a you know cultural standpoint in terms of how they you know impacted uh, the way people saw the game. At Marcos Vieira asked me to give five reasons Yellowstone's better than Succession. Never seen an episode, my man. I I know, I know. Everyone talks about how great it is. I've only heard great things, but I'm pretty particular and that show just does not draw my interest. At Kyle the Kamish, are you going to be traveling to Germany for the game against the Chiefs? If no, on behalf of the community, we would like to sweet talk your boss into it. We can make it a family affair too if the wife and little ones want to go as well. So I'm, I'm on radio post game, so traveling hasn't really been conducive to making that show the best version of itself. We do it when we can, but it's, you know, plus traveling is tough with the little kids like you mentioned. Uh, my wife is really pushing to make this trip happen, I will say. We'll see. It would be a ton. Man, getting a three, a three-and-a-half-year-old at that point and a one-year-old on a flight, I, I just don't know. <laughs> but my wife uh, studied abroad for a couple years in college, did one uh, semester in Spain and another in Germany, and she taught American children on a military base in Germany while she was getting her master's degree. So she's a big-time traveler. She loves being overseas, actually has talked about moving overseas in the past. And I'm like, hey, look, I'm not a big America guy, but like, I kind of like it here. I just, I like what I know. Um, But again, making that flight with the little ones and I just don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, At YZ80, do you think the Dolphins will sign another defensive tackle before the season begins? And also which UDFAs have the best shot at making the roster? For the UDFA answer, I'm going to go ahead and defer you back to the Emory Hunt podcast when he talked uh, with us on that episode for my picks, I think Brandon Peely from USC makes a lot of sense. The defensive tackle, Anthony Montalvo from UCF. Those are two guys they, they definitely put some priority in. Um, looking at the rest of the group here, Chris Brooks is intriguing to me. I, I like the tackle from Cincinnati a lot, James Tunstall. Uh, but go back to the... Uh, Emory Hunt podcast, you're going to get a good look at, at what he said there. And he, he knows these guys better than I do at this point. But as far as the defensive tackle question, we do know they got some additional cap relief with the post-June 1 portion of the calendar. So there's some more flexibility there, which this team always does a great job of managing and maintaining. I do think you need a solution behind what you have with, you know, Sealer, Wilkins, and Raekwon and, you know, the first two guys especially, but Raekwon's job really needs a, a secondary snap taker because they just don't have that j- on the roster right now unless you rely upon, like you mentioned, undrafted free agents. You're going to have to have a look at the two guys, Peely and Montalvo here at OTAs, and these can act as a bit of a tryout session for, like, what the team might need as they assess heading into training camp where it's kind of like, you know, full steam ahead, and you still have roster moves that happen, but that's, like, really, all right, what happened over OTAs? Where can we get better? What, who can we call to, to make it better? So you hope that someone can plant their flag in that role over the next couple of weeks here. You really don't have a proven answer right now for that John Jenkins role last year, right? Now that's only 260 snaps, not a lot, but that is 26, you know, 30% of your workload, give or take, but you don't want to be grasping for someone to fill that role all year because it is an important one. It's, it's 260 snaps is not a lot, but it's 260 snaps. I thought Jalen Twyman and Josiah Bronson had a really nice start to OTAs here the first couple of practices I saw, but that's 285 and 300 pounds. Those are more... Sealer and Wilkins analogs John Jenkins played at 335 which is the same as Raekwon which tells you nose tackle right it was an area I thought was a need coming into the offseason and looking at the list now it's pretty thin honestly the name that jumped to me the most on the UD or the available free agents was probably Vincent Taylor (laughs) remember him I always thought he was better suited for a more one gap penetration get up field style of defense which could be more of the defense this year but he did play at 315 a year ago so I, I don't know I think a proven vet on the back end of his career makes a ton of sense. I talked about Akeem Hicks a few times during the free agency run-up, but Mike Pennell is still playing. He's still out there, 330 pounds. He's been good for a long time. I I would call him and say, hey, can you give me 300 snaps? That would be a a guy I'd be interested in in kicking the can on. Uh, At Finn Reaper, I've seen several people say they would put Jimmy Butler on this Dolphins secondary, but my question is, what two Dolphins would you pick to help the Panthers and Heat win it all, and why? <laughs> it's a great one. Uh, one for the Heat, one for the Panthers. I need somebody to body up Jokic in the finals here. So we need him to be able to get to the perimeter and defend the craziest shot in a hoop, that step back, fading away, release behind the head shot that Jokic does. Look, you're not going to get anyone from the Dolphins in the 7-foot range, so we need length, and we need to be athletic. So I use this great stat on Zach Sealer on the podcast all the time. His pro day workout from his Ferris State days put him in a class with Mario Williams and J.J. Watt. And this is a mouthful, so I'll go slow, as slow as I possibly can. Here it is again. Since 2000, three players have hit these metrics with their combine or pro day workouts. Six foot five plus, 285 pounds plus, under a 485 40 yard dash, more than 30 bench press reps, a 115-inch broad jump or more, and a three cone time of under 715, which is like receiver <laughs> receiver numbers. There's three guys that have done that. Mario Williams, JJ Watt, and Zach Sealer. So give me Zach Sealer to bang down in the post and also contest Jokic on the perimeter. For the Panthers, look. I fancy myself a pretty knowledgeable football mind. Obviously, that's the whole podcast here. Baseball and basketball were my sports growing up through college. So that's, you know, I feel good about those sports. Hockey, no clue. No clue. No clue whatsoever. I'm guessing lower body strength, good ankle flexion, hand-eye coordination. Can I go Ryan Hayes? He was a three-sport all-conference player in high school. He's got great size. He's from Michigan. I assume he was born with a pair of skates by his side. Is that a crazy pick? You guys tell me. I'm lost here. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there, and come back on the other side, and we'll go ahead and get to some media availabilities. But first, I want to play a fun game with y'all, taking a look at a little project I'm working on here for the NFL. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. Before we close out the week of podcasts here and head into the weekend with some player availabilities from Wednesday, we did not cover on the post-practice report, which if you have not heard that, go back and check it out. We'll have three podcasts breaking down practices next week. Essentially, it's a training camp uh, run through, a rehearsal, if you will. For those three days in a row, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we will have a podcast for you guys each of those days. We have some fun content coming your way from Media Day as well, so keep it locked right here. And on our socials, on all of our channels, we have tons of stuff coming your way this summer to get you through to the break, as the Heat and Panthers have done to get you into the month of June. And then I guess you have baseball, to carry you through uh, into football season. But we have content for you guys to help you get to that, uh, bridge that gap, I should say. And I wanted to do this segment here at some point in the summer, and we'll go ahead and do it right now, a little project I've been working on to just kind of get myself more familiarized with the rest of the National Football League. I do it most years, but this year, kind of putting some more time into it, watching more and more tape. And I want to make sure that it's not, or make clear, I should say, that it's not a finished product right now. I need to go back and cut some more tape this summer and get more into the weeds. I also want to attack this thing with a second lens. My first one was going down one team at a time and grading each unit. I think doing each team's running backs and then each team's wide receivers and going by position rather than by team, I think that could help kind of trim some fat off of the grades as you stack them up against one another and get a better feel for, you know, here's the Giants backfield versus the Cowboys backfield type of deal. So that's my disclaimer to say that I'm not final stamping this and it's June. So duh, but I'll tell you this. Here's where my Dolphins grades racked up in my rough draft. The system was this, 3 through 10. I I didn't give 2s and 1s. I didn't give a 10 either. But 10 is generational best of all time, best position group we've ever seen. Number 9 is elite slash best of their position groups. Top 4 or 5 is in the 9 category. in the 8 range, and these all have decimals too, so it's 3.0 through 10.0, so you can be like 8.7. But the eight number is top 10 of your position group or on the periphery. Number seven a good unit. So like above average, six is in the average range, five below average, four I put oh no, and then three I put disaster. So that kind of gives you an idea of the grading scale here. And let's go upside down here for positions because the quarterback is last and I can't wait to hear, tell you guys what I think of the quarterback here, which you already probably know uh, if you listen to the podcast every day. Safeties, 8.1. That's tied for six in the NFL. The Bills, Steelers, Chargers, Broncos, Bears, and then I had the Panthers, and we tied with the Seahawks there. So Javon Holland, Brandon Jones, Deshaun Elliott, feel pretty good about that. Elijah Campbell, also with what, you know, the matchup pieces we have, Jalen Ramsey's ability to play multiple roles. I just feel good about that position group here for Miami. Speaking of Jalen Ramsey, cornerbacks, 9.2 is first. We have the best cornerback room of football. It's good up top. It's deep. It's matchup-centric. It's inside-outside. It's tackling. It's Vic Fangio's scheme. Everything you want, best cornerbacks in the NFL. Linebacker, 8.2. Some of you guys are going to say, that's pretty high, Travis. I think the world, David Long. I think David Long makes Jerome Baker a better player. I think Duke Riley's good depth. I think Channing Tindall is going to get a bigger role this year. I like this group. Tied for fifth. Bills, Browns, Bears, 49ers who are top at 9.5. We tied with the Carolina Panthers. The Edge, surprise, surprise. 9.5, is second behind only Philly. Just waves and waves and waves of really good players. I think Jalen Phillips is going to be a superstar breakout player this year. I think Chubb will give you better football than he gave you last year. I think Ogba's back. I think Malik Reed's a good player. I think Andrew Van Ginkle's a good player. I think you get pass rush from Sealer and Wilkins in those types of roles, although they also work as interior defensive linemen because they play multiple spots, which, by the way, the IDL is 8.9, which is fifth. So Bills, Colts, Eagles, and Niners. So the defense tied for sixth, first tied for fifth, second, and fifth. This could be one of the best defenses in the NFL, man. And that's before you get to the offense, which I think is even better than the defense. How cool is that? Although on this particular position group, I have the Dolphins tied for 24th. Offensive line, 6.7. That could jump up, man. If one of the left guard and right tackle position shows you quality starter, then that jumps way the hell up. Way up. Because I think Teron and Connor are great players. I think Robert Hunt is right on the verge of becoming a great player. Two positions to wonder about, though. That's why it's tied for 24th right now. Wide receivers and tight end, 9.7, number one. Number one in the league. Talk to a wall. Running backs, 6.8 was tied for 22nd, though I feel this has the best chance to skyrocket this year because I think Devon Aching could potentially be special. And with Jeff and Raheem for a full year, if Raheem Mostert uh, stays healthy, I think he's a pretty underrated back. And then quarterback position. What is Travis going to do at quarterback? I'm going 8.7. It's tied for fifth. The Bills, the Bengals, the Chiefs, and the Eagles are higher, and it's tied with the Chargers for fifth. And again, if you want to argue with me on this, it's fine. I'll just tell you, just wait. Just wait until you see what happens this season. Last year was just the beginning. So some notes here on the project in total. The highest grade I gave a group was the Chiefs quarterback was 9.9. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback I've ever seen. So probably should be a 10, but I went 9-9. Maybe I'll change that in the second go-around. The next highest grade across all position groups in the NFL was the Dolphins wide receivers. Legit, I think the best room in football mostly because of those top two guys, but I also think because you're seven deep with guys that can play at this level, and I think those complementary parts all fulfill different roles. Also, I think this offense will see plenty of 21 and 12 personnel, like we talked about in the mailbag, you know, two tight end, two backs, and that removes the need for a third lots of times. So when people say the Bengals having Tyler Boyd makes them better, I say these two guys allow us to stay in a run-heavy package and hit verticals from play-action attempts with one-on-one matchups on the perimeter. The best unit because it impacts the game the best the lowest grade was a lot of teams had a three in different areas not a lot I should say but the commander's quarterback was a three I still hate that they didn't address that position also gave the Rams a three in four categories running backs cornerbacks edge and safety who it's rough and the Cardinals running backs got a three and really their quarterback would too if Kyler you know was out for the year which he might be so we'll see and what I'm certain everybody wants to know I have the Dolphins with a second-best composite score. They trail only Philly. I have not accounted for my weighted grading yet, which is quarterbacks are 2.5 times the mean. Wide receivers slash tight ends, two times the mean. Offensive lines, one and a half. Edge is two times. And cornerback is 1.5. So there you go. Fun exercise and a fun Friday topic here to discuss. Let's go ahead and pick this up with media availability from Wednesday we did not cover, and that includes... Cedric Obwehi and Tyler Croft. We start with the offensive lineman who was asked, why the Dolphins?
1: Yeah, I mean, what, what they've built so far, uh, even last year, building on what they did last year. Obviously, I was with the Jets, so I saw firsthand. Um, they got something special going on here. And uh, they, have, they, have, they have the pieces, and I'm just here to just add on to that and just uh, go as far as we can.
2: And of course, I had to know how playing in Mike LaFleur's system a season ago helped him I guess digest the playbook quickly or the process of getting the playbook down as he is now new and a member of the Miami Dolphins for the last couple of weeks. How's that process going with the previous knowledge of a similar offense under Mike LaFleur?
1: I love it. I mean, it's it's literally the same kind of scheme. Uh, Obviously, different nuances, but uh, it's prepared me a lot. I've been helping out some of the guys, too, because it's new to some of them, so it it helped a lot.
2: And finally, how does the system suit his skill set as an offensive tackle?
1: Oh, yeah, it does. It's, it's all about running uh, off the ball. Uh, it's, it's, it's meant for guys who, who can move. Uh, so it's, it's great for kind of, kind of my skill set.
2: Good stuff there. Let's go ahead and pick it up with tight end Tyler Croft, who had some really intriguing answers here regarding his position on the team, his skill set. I love what he talked about with Elijah Higgins and how he kind of can help the youngster get his feet wet here in the NFL and teach him a thing or two. We start here, though, with what about his game, He would say stands out and he says, you know, I'm a little bit more viewed as a blocking tight end, but I think I can be more than that.
0: Yeah, I still think I can uh, do some things well in the passing game. I know at least going in, this is year nine for me. So going into that, I probably am viewed more as a blocker now in this, but I still take pride in being able to do it all and trying to be a three down guy. So uh, I'll never put myself into a box that way saying I can just do one or the other. But uh, like I said before, I just try and take pride in doing it all.
2: And here is the Elijah Higgins comment.
0: Yeah, uh, so I've just been working on him because, like you said, he's playing a whole new position. It's a new league. He's—I was a rookie shoot nine years ago. But I've just been talking to him about not letting it get too big for him. Just trying to take each day at a time and. At the end of the day, you're going to mess stuff up. Everybody does. Everybody was a stupid rookie at one point. So I've told him just not get too low on himself and don't get too high when you are making plays, too, because everybody out here is the best players of their college, best players in their position. There's a reason they're here, and there's a reason he's here, too. So just making sure that he keeps his head on straight and just don't get too low, don't get too high, but just try and take each day at a time and stack them.
2: And playing last year with tight end George Kittle, what would you take away from his game and the way he approaches the professional side of it, the production side of it, all of that?
0: Yeah, uh, the rack. Like when you catch the ball, something that was so simple that I didn't even really think about. And seeing him when we just do routes on air, making a move or a double move, just getting in your mind that you're taking that ball to the end zone every time you get it, not just doing the drop step. The drop step's good, but taking that drop step to the next level. So that was something that I've been trying to do here and show the guys too as well.
2: So, there you go. Short and sweet podcast, but I thought a pretty fun one there, answering your questions. The fun game there with the NFL positional rankings. Tell me what you think about that. I'm curious how you guys feel this team stacks up compared to the rest of the league. Also heard from Abwehi and Tyler Croft there. That's going to be my time for the week. But before we get out of here, I want to remind you guys we have OTA practices next week. Three of them, we're going to be busy with that, taking you guys through what happened on the practice field at the podiums and afterwards talking to the players and, of course, Coach Mike McDaniel. Also, This week, Finns Weekend is back and better than ever. June 2nd through the 3rd. I know today is the 2nd. Join your favorite Miami Dolphins coaches, players, alumni, and chillers at the 24th annual Finns Weekend featuring a fishing tournament, exclusive parties, and more. With all the proceeds benefiting the Baptist Health Foundation, tickets are limited and available for purchase at finsweekend.com. All right, everyone have a good weekend out there. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast. I think Chris Chambers is coming up here soon. And I know they have Jeff Wilson as well. So a current and a flashback for you guys there. Check out the YouTube channel for Dolphins Today, media availabilities, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline Cameron, daddy's coming home.